It's reading aloud. We're back. Here we are, episode 47. Holy cow, you know who was 47? Bruce Hurst, who was a terrific left-handed pitcher for the Boston Red Sox in the mid-1980s. So this is the this is the Bruce Hurst episode. So you're welcome for that. Look him up. He was a lefty, and he had uh, cool sideburns. My name is Nate Cordry. I'm the host of Reading Aloud, and boy, do we have an amazing interview today. Really compelling stuff. But before we get to that, let's talk about some things. Let's thank Faye Wolf for the episode that she, she came in, and we did an incredible interview two weeks ago. Her new book is called New Order, uh, How to Declutter Your Life. It's for creative people and for non-creative people, which means you. It's for everyone. Everyone fits under that umbrella. She is a professional organizer and like spiritual guru. She's such a great gal. She wrote an amazing book. It's called New Order, and you should go pick it up and check it out. If you haven't listened to that episode, uh, after you listen to this episode, go back and listen to Faze because it's great. It's something. It's an issue that we all have. We all need to declutter our lives. Why do we hang on to stuff for so long? Why is it still here? Because it's you're like emotionally attached to it. She goes way in depth to like why we have old photos and old newspaper clippings and blah, 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 blah. Just throw it away. Throw it away. God bless you, Faye Wolf. Um, check out that episode. That was last week's episode. Uh, the book club is coming, and it's a doozy. Uh, Julianne Smolinski, uh, Engineer Sam is coming in. Uh, Seth Morris, perhaps Aya Cash, if she's in town. Uh, we're going to be talking about F. Scott Fitzgerald's The Great Gatsby. You've heard of it. You were supposed to read it in high school, but you didn't because you were smoking dope. I saw you, and I judged you. But now, you can read it. Be cool. Get on board. Read this American classic, and join us for the book club. That is coming up in two weeks on the 19th, 19th Friday the 19th, that episode drops. Uh, so it's a great group that's coming in to talk about this American classic. If you've been putting off reading this book, now is the time. And it's such a fast, easy read. Um, it's like 200 pages or something. Nothing. You can breeze through it. Very accessible. Uh, so check that out. The Great Gatsby. You've heard of it. Now put it in your brain. Uh, and then coming up after the book club, the last Friday of the month is a really compelling conversation with Sasha Pfeiffer. Sasha Pfeiffer won a Pulitzer Prize for uh, her work uh, with the Spotlight team for the Boston Globe. The movie Spotlight is based on uh, her reporting. Um, and she's kind of nominated for an Academy Award. I mean, Rachel McAdams is, but Rachel McAdams is playing Sasha Pfeiffer in the movie. So that episode will air the Friday before the Oscars. So that'll get you geared up for your, the Oscars on Sunday. Uh, so that airs in two weeks, that episode. And she is so great. She is a, I mean, you know, she's a journalist and she was on the radio for a long time in Boston. So she, uh, she's really good at answering questions. So Sasha Pfeiffer, that's a great conversation. That's coming up very soon. Um, and I, I want to thank uh, the folks at Who Charted. I was a guest on their show. It's one of the best podcasts that uh, Earwolf offers. It's been around forever. They've had like 250 episodes. Uh, Who Charted is fantastic. You should check it out. Uh, it's on Howl FM. Uh, if you're not a m member of Howl, join immediately. Uh, you can also go to the Earwolf website. It's all on your phone. Um, and check out that episode. I had a real good time with Kulap and, and, and Brett. It was so much fun. So who charted? I forget what episode number it is, but uh, it aired last week or the week before. So check that out. 
Also, so I'm taking this literature course online through the Harvard Extension School, and I have all these books to read. I have like 11 books to read in 12 weeks. So I'm a little, little overwhelmed. So I apologize for not including as many short stories in the next month or so because I'm caught up reading other kinds of stuff. But some people have reached out to me on Twitter to find, um, to they want to follow along with what I'm reading. Uh, so I posted the link to the syllabus on the Twitter page, which is uh, Reading Aloud Pod on Twitter. So find it. I'm also going to post it on the uh, website, uh, the Wolf Pop website for Reading Aloud. So you can find it there and sort of follow along what I'm reading if you want to get a taste of academia again, if you're no longer a student. Um, what am I missing? I did that. I said this. I said that part. Did that part. Did this part. I haven't done this part. Lindsay Sterling joins me today. Uh, a self-made woman, uh, unbelievably uh, talented musician who is making a completely unique mark on her own. Um, she's a terrific performer and a really compelling gal, and she's on a book tour these days, and I caught her between book tour dates uh, to chat about her life, her career, her faith, her music, and her book, which is out, which you can get now. So let's talk to her about it, shall we? Okay, here's a conversation via a telephone with Lindsay Sterling and I. Here we go. Lindsay Sterling <laughs> is my guest. She is a classically trained violinist, dancer. Uh, she's a choreographer. She's a performance artist. Her YouTube videos have been viewed over a billion, with a B, billion times. Her self-titled debut album reached number one on the Billboard Dance electronic chart. Her second album, which is called Shatter Me, debuted at number two on the Billboard Top 200. Holy cow. Her book, The Only Pirate at the Party, was just released on the 12th of January, and she's been kind enough to join me on the phone from somewhere uh, on planet Earth. Lindsay Sterling, thanks for coming on Reading Aloud. Oh, thank you so much for having me. And gosh, thanks for the fancy intro. I feel so special. Well, it's deserved. It's overly deserved. Where on planet Earth are you right now? You know, I just flew into Salt Lake City, Utah, which is awesome. It's one of my favorite cities. You grew up in Arizona? Yes, I uh, grew up in Gilbert, Arizona. Um, and then I actually came and lived in um, Salt Lake or Provo, Utah, just south of Salt Lake. For about uh, when I went to college at BYU. Mm-hmm. And are you in Salt Lake for a show? What What are you doing in Salt Lake? No, this last week. Uh, so the book was released a week ago, and my sister and I have been kind of keeping around the country. We started on the East Coast, and we're making our way west, and we're doing just kind of a mini book tour and and signing and meet and greets, and um, it's been amazing so far. And today is Salt Lake. Um, how many more uh, dates do you have on the uh, on the book tour? I think we have five dates left. Wow. I've spoken to. Um, I've had, I've spoken to a couple of musicians on my show before, and I always ask them the same question, and I almost get the same response every time. And it's different. Oh, it's it's different. On. The pressure's <laughs> on. There's only one right answer. No. Um, there's uh, there seems to be a point, 
And maybe not necessarily on this tour, because this is a book tour, which is very different from a, you know, driving trucks and buses across the country on a music tour. But there comes a point in time where it begins to get harder. It begins to get tough. You're getting up in the morning and it's a little bit more to negotiate because you've been on the road for X amount of days and perhaps you're like fighting resentment. And I wonder at what point on a tour do you start to get itchy? You know, it all really depends because some tours are on a bus and some tours are fly dates, you know, where you're flying and waking up every morning and flying. And so if I'm on a bus, you know, honestly, I'm, I love touring and I could honestly do it year round. That's, that's probably not the normal answer. Whoa. And so um, just because I absolutely like diehard love it, I could tour forever. But when I'm doing fly dates, gosh, about two weeks in, I'm... I'm spent and I start to get really homesick. Yeah, most of the musicians that I've spoken to, they say at three weeks, you start to get frustrated. And it's not because you're not grateful for all the experiences that you're being handed to you. You're, you've earned it. You're there. You're with an awesome audience that is so excited to see you perform. But the human body can only take so much time away from home. Yeah, no, I, I can understand that. I guess, in a way, my tour bus really becomes my home, and I'm so close with my crew. I've had the same team from day one, like the same band, you know, mostly, and, you know, same, so it's been this, like, growing family, and so I think that's what makes all the difference in the world, is that, like, like I just love the people I tour with, and, yeah, so it kind of becomes my life. Like, that is my world, is when I'm on tour, and it's, you know, I don't know, it's interesting. Is there something you bring, like an actual tangible item that you bring on the bus that you need to have with you to like either remind you of home or to make you comfortable that like, all right, at least I have this on the bus, which sort of reminds me of home and that, you know, that I'm sort of grounded in a foundation. Is there anything you bring on the bus with you every time that you can't like live without? You know what? It's There is. Um, and this is very random, but I love my snacks. My go-to snacks yeah. make me feel like I'm comfortable and I'm like I'm at home and I have something regular. And for me, that's things like grape nut cereal and peanut butter and jelly. Um, having that, you know, just having those little snacks available to me, you know, and like some some fresh fruit. Those are the things that make me feel like okay, I have consistency no matter where we're at. If, even if I don't understand the language on all the signs around me, I have my food. <laughs> I get, I totally get that. I have the same thing. And now that you can go on Amazon and buy basically anything you want from like a dishwasher to like salt and pepper shakers mm -hmm. to, you know, whatever I buy, I'm from new England originally. So I get like new England snacks and they make me uh -huh. feel like wise potato chips and like Cape Cod potato chips, those bring me real joy. That makes me, yep, I totally relate to you. And that is such a good idea. I've never thought to get some like, you know, a lot of times I'll bring stuff or I'll try to get it, you know, but that's a great idea. Just order it off Amazon. It's anywhere I'm, in the world. You really can. I mean, I, I, I like to promote Amazon, but also part of me is frustrated that they sort of, that Amazon kind of takes away sales from sort of smaller mom and pop stores in your local community. But like sometimes you're just really jonesing for a snack in your hometown mm -hmm. and you want it in your house and you can't get on a plane and go somewhere else and get a snack. Uh, <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I want to get into the book a little bit. You start the book off in the very first chapter 
maybe even the very first page, letting your readers know that as a kid, you were diagnosed with a learning disability, you had difficulty reading, and you were cross-dominant. And I wonder if it was your goal at the onset to put that right up front, because it's so... I feel like in a lot of memoirs, if there's something, if there's a, a, a disability or a past trauma, you take time to reveal it. And I feel like it takes some sort of guts for you to reveal that immediately and say, I had this issue, I struggle with something, and I'm just gonna, I'm not gonna, I'm just gonna put it up right up front so the reader knows. And to me, it seemed like you were letting the reader know that it's okay to talk about any kind of disability. Was that, was that sort of your intention? That, yes, that definitely was one of the reasons we put it, you know, right front and center um, was because a big theme of the book is that it's okay to be different, you know, and it doesn't mean like, you know, you march through life trying to like, hey, like stick out and always be different, you know, no, that's actually not what I've intended to do through my whole life. But I think every single person is different and unique, especially when they're true to their authentic selves. And so one of the goals of the book was to be like, you know, own who you are. It's okay. You know, those struggles make you stronger. And, you know, it's actually been, I didn't realize how many people would relate to that little story. And I've had little kids, because I have fans ranging from little kids up to, you know, older couples in their 80s. You know, I just have a very broad fan base. And it's been kind of amazing to see a lot of the little kids that have come to the meet and greets. Several of them have, you know, or their moms have whispered in my ear, you know, she wears an eye patch, like, you know, and it's really hard for her to wear it to school. And when she heard you wore an eye patch when you were a kid for her, you know, for your eyes, that made her feel suddenly like it, you know, it was cool. And, you know, just, I think everybody, sometimes it's hard to own the things that make you different in the moment. Um, and so it, I, you know, I didn't even realize how much that story would, um, resonate with so many people. Mm. You, you describe yourself in the book as a, as a quote, natural born drama queen, implying that perhaps <laughs> it's more nature than nurture that leads to like extroverted behavior. And I wonder why this is an enormous question, but why you think certain kids are more prone to being performers than others you know i i I believe in both nature versus nurture i think that um and i think i had two going for me and the fact that i was just naturally born to i love to entertain from the time i was a tiny kid and i i think it's a big you know i I believe that we came from somewhere before we came to this life. And I believe that we had spirits before we, we were brought to this earth. And, you know, like we already had personalities um, kind of ingrained in us. And then this life kind of helps nurture those further. Um, and so I think that's why my sisters and I are all so different. Um, but at the same time, my little outgoing spirit was very nurtured by my parents. They were so, you know, positively encouraging to all my little quirks. And, you know, like the story where my mom took me to school dressed up in a wig and, you know, just kind of like, okay, if you want to wear that, you know, you go, girl. And, um, you know, just my parents were so encouraging for me to express my talents and be the person I was. And, um, and you know, if I wanted to sew a kangaroo costume when I was in third grade, you know, I was eight years old. My mom, rather than telling me, like, actually, you can't, I don't think you can do that. Like, you're not going to be able to sew that. You know, she she helped me make a pattern and she showed, taught me how to do it and then let me try. And it, it's amazing that when you don't tell someone something's impossible and they don't know that it's probably not going to work, it's amazing. People usually can make things work. Do you remember the feeling of holding your very first 
violin. I know you practice on a car, on a, a a cardboard one. Is that correct? Yes. Do you remember? <laughs> yes, it was actually made out of a cereal box and like a toilet paper roll. <laughs> okay, and you still play <laughs> that one on stage every night, right? Oh yeah, or this is at least my warm up routine is always with you know with the cardboard box. Sure. <laughs> do you do you remember like having holding a real violin for the very first time? I do. I do vaguely remember that. And I remember just, um, you know, being, I begged my parents for probably not as long as I remember, but it felt like I begged them for lessons for so long. And then, you know, getting a cardboard box to practice on for a week felt like an eternity. And so finally, when I got, you know, to hold this real violin and it made sound when I pulled the bow across it, no matter how squeaky it sounded, it didn't matter. I was so excited about it. Where, where is that uh, first violin? Does that still exist somewhere? Uh, I have... I have no idea. You know, my the parents couldn't afford to buy it. My mom still kicks herself for not, you know, finding a way to buy that because she was like, oh my gosh, I wish we had your violin. We just rented it from my teacher. If someone is listening, if like a young person is listening right now, I shouldn't say young, anyone who wants to pick up the violin. If someone's listening right now who wants to pick up a violin, what kind of violin would be the most appropriate for a beginner? For a beginner? Um... You know, I'm not sure. I've usually gotten most of my violins from just violin shops. Like, I, they have these really cool shops where you can go in and they um, uh, just have all sorts of violins that are they're used usually. And uh, you just try different ones until, you know, you tell them the size you want. You tell them the price range and you try violin until one sings with you. And it kind of, to me, it reminds me of like Harry Potter when they go in and try all the different wands till one, right. you know, was magic. Yeah, That's yeah. just what a nerd I am that... I know this, but so it's like Ollivander's wand shop is kind of how I say fighting <laughs> violin is. Or there's also the there's the big vendors like Yamaha violins that are actually really good violins. Uh, that's a perfect image of you walking into a violin shop and a Yamaha violin flying off the the bookcase and landing on your shoulder. <laughs> um, Right, and then playing beautiful melodies right off the bat. Exactly. One of the one of the um, the best parts of your book that I'm so fascinated by is you talk a lot about your work as a missionary and this like dealing with rejection on the street when someone and how and how how to negotiate someone turning the other cheek or not not responding to you. Um, and I wonder. You mention the word faith a lot in the book and. And it made this again, these are maybe impossible questions to answer, but if you could try to define, I guess, define faith, because me as someone, I am not affiliated with any sort of specific denomination. So I am always interested in how the creative path is different for someone of faith as opposed to someone who isn't. And I wonder how it affects your, like, I guess how it affects your creativity, if that's even possible. To mm. That's such an interesting question. Um, you know, I attribute so much of my creativity to my faith um, and more so to belief that there's something greater than myself. And some people call that God. I personally do. I feel like there's a God who knows me and who has a plan for me and most importantly, who created me. And who thinks I'm beautiful and because I'm one of his creations and every single person is. And so the thought that I was created by a, you know, the most creative being ever, you know, this omnipotent, you know, being makes me realize that I believe that we all have creativity inside of us. And 
that, mm. you know, of course we do because we were created by the great creator and we've all been put on this earth to create, you know, and, um, you know, whether that is to create life, like we have this amazing gift to create life or whether it's to create art, like the most fulfilling thing that we can do as humans is create. And so a big part, you know, this, my faith really feeds my art because I pray before I go into a writing session. I pray every night before I go out on stage and perform, you know, asking that, you know, God's light or, you know, will flow through me. And I know lots of other artists that see it more as energy. You know, they call it energy. They want that, you know, this, but I think most artists believe in something greater than themselves that because it's really hard to imagine that, you know, music comes from my own head or that, you know, music video ideas just pop out of my own brain. Like I believe they have to come inspired from somewhere else and creativity is like a muscle that you exercise. Wow. Well said. Um, you got the you got the audition for America's Got Talent. I love this story in the book. And to prepare yourself to get over your fear of playing in front of a large crowd, you went door to door in your apartment building, knocking on doors. Oh my gosh! I... <laughs> yes, continue. So, but yeah, you continue. You you're knocking on doors. Strangers open the door, and then what happened next? So I, I still looking back on this, I'm like, I can't believe I did this. I yeah. had some guts, you know. Holy um, moly. I, I really did. I, I, you know, I went to the guy's apartments first as well because I was like, okay, if I can play a little violin solo in front of some strange guys that I don't, or not strange guys, but strangers that I don't know. Um, Goodness. I'm going to be able to play in front of a huge crowd, no problem, because how embarrassing and awkward is that? And let alone, they didn't know when they, when they said, yeah, if I'd asked them, hey, can I, can I play a little violin piece for you? I have an audition coming up. I'm really oh nervous. And little did they know I was about to start dancing and playing in their living room. Oh, and, my gosh. You know, to say it was awkward is just beyond, like, that does not do it justice. It was so awkward. But I really feel like that's what gave me, you know, people ask, like, how do you get over stage fright? Have you always loved the stage? And I've always loved performing, but, like, oh, my gosh, I would get so nervous and I feel like that experience doing that it wasn't just once it was multiple times of doing this really helped me realize that <laughs> gosh you know I can do anything now <laughs> oh, that is so funny if I was your mother and you told me you were going to do that I would recommend that you didn't knock on strangers doors and yet it totally worked out and here you are here I know I'm still alive yeah kids don't do this yes. yes but I will say I also anytime someone would come over to our apartment or when I was home in Arizona if someone stopped by to visit my mom like you know even when I was like my late teens I would ask them a lot of times can I play a song for you um and so you don't have to go door to door you can find other opportunities <laughs> I had a, but it worked I yeah yeah tell you. It totally worked. I had issues when I was younger. I'm an actor and I perform on stage when I was younger a lot more often and I wouldn't have issues with stage fright. And then I went away from the stage for a couple of years. I came back to it after like a three or four year break and I had a full blown panic attack backstage at like 745 before the eight o'clock show. And I thought, wow, oh no, oh no, I've lost it. I've gained some sort of fear that I didn't have before how and I didn't I honestly thought I was going to be I thought I was going I was going to have a heart attack and like the full full blown panic attack which is a terrifying experience for anyone who's had one you yeah. understand how it feels I wonder if you've have you have you completely negotiated stage fright or is it something that you still have to like listen to and like take care of um you know 
especially once I get in the run of a show and I feel very comfortable with a show, I don't, you know, I always get a little bit nervous, but it's more just that nervous energy, you know, where I've just gone through meet and greet and met all these fans that are so excited. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I want to do the best show I can for them. Cause you know, this guy traveled 200 miles and this girl, you know, right. and this girl's been waiting for three months. So it's more that kind of, a just, I want to do my best. But I will say, especially when it's like the opening night of a new tour, oh my gosh, I get, you know, all these new things in my head. There's never enough time to fully feel like you know and have a show ready. And so those first couple mm. of shows are nerve wracking or TV performances terrify me because it's just, you know, it's such a big moment. It's such a big opportunity and you get, you know one shot and yeah. TV is unforgiving. So there's definitely scenarios where I still, you know, and I do a lot of visualization. I'll meditate before every show. You know, I have my, my routine that I go through to help me not have, you know, breakdowns because sometimes it's, it, the nerves can be overwhelming. Um, you wrote the book with your sister, Brooke. And anytime I have an author on the show, I always like to ask about the actual nuts and bolts process mm. of writing a book because to an outsider, it seems like an impossible mountain to climb and yet you did it. Can you lay out to my listeners how, like, did you, were you guys always in the same room writing? Did you email ideas back and forth? How, how did this process work? You know, it was um, actually, it, the reason it took, it took us three years to write this book. And the reason is because we weren't very rarely in the same room. Um, I was touring a lot. I was touring almost the entire time she was, you know, um, kind of writing and I was giving her ideas and we would Skype almost every other day. And we'd be on, like I was in Europe or in Asia. And so we'd find times like I'd be in the middle of the night for me and I'd stay up after a show and she'd you know, get up in the morning and we would Skype. And so a lot of the book was written through just Skype calls and we would talk and go wow. back and forth. And, um, you know, we started out, it was such an, at first, yeah, it's like, what, how do we tell a story out of mini stories? And it just kind of started because we, we kind of nailed out the most important things we wanted to talk about and just started writing. And we kind of had some main themes, like we wanted um, faith, family, friends, and music to kind of be the, the, big points of the book. And, um, and so <clears throat> starting with that, we just, yeah, she would write kind of what we talked about, send it to me. I'd read it, send her revisions. She'd write, you know, and it just went back and forth. And I would say every chapter started in a very different place than it ended up. Mm. Um, your positive positivity is just relentless through this book. And I wonder if one of the goals of the book is to attempt to pass that on to empower your readers. Is that one of the foundations of the book? Absolutely. And I'm so glad that that is standing out to you because, um, you know, one thing I just feel like I've learned several times in my life is that happiness takes work. Mm. And so without saying it, you know, and hitting it on the nose, you know, I wanted to showcase that, you know, okay, I went through depression at one point in my life, I was a very different person than I am today. And at the time I thought I would never, you know, I didn't think it was possible to feel happy again, just genuinely mm. happy, you know, not to wake up depressed and not, you know, having a desire to get out of bed was just hard, you know, and, and looking back, especially writing the book and revisiting this, like reading old journal entries, it reminded me of how unhappy I was at a time in my life. Mm. And so I wanted to give people hope that, no matter where you are today and who you are today, if you're willing to work at it, and I worked really hard going to therapy and doing, you know, multiple types of therapy, 
to retrain my brain. And so I honestly believe that we can become the kind of people we want to be. And whether that's reaching for your dreams and chasing after them or just wanting to think positively about yourself. And it's something I still work at. I, you know, I, I, I am so ha- I'm so much happier and I, I love the person that I am. But at the same time, it still takes work um, when I realize that I'm starting to get negative again or I'm starting to think, you know, in really unpos- positive ways and derogatory things. And so that was one of the goals of the book was to say, hey, I've been there no matter and you can get to where you want to be. Well, goal achieved. Um, I know. Yay! <laughs> we're we're running out of time, so I'll just I'll. Um, it is a book bo- podcast, so I, I think it'd be um, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you a book question. If you had to recommend any book to my listeners, besides your own book, really, um, <laughs> what uh, what book would it be, and why? Okay, I've been reading Brene Brown's books lately. Oh yeah, and. Um, I am obsessed with her. I, she kind of, you know, mine was a memoir, but she took some of the things that I wanted to share in the book, you know, like about happiness and about, about learning to, to live wholeheartedly. She kind of breaks that down in more of a study and scientific way and shares with people how to live wholehearted lives and to embrace their imperfections. And it's, beautiful there so there's the first one is the gift of imperfection and then daring greatly it's just kind of about going out there and like achieving your dreams of living your life fully and they are incredible i her ted talks i haven't read her books but her ted talks are amazing so i get why you would be such a fan of hers uh lindsey sterling i cannot thank you enough for taking the time to chat with me on reading aloud i wish you only the best and um your book is out now. If someone wants to buy this book, they can do it immediately, right? It's on sale. It is. It's out there. The only pirate at the party. Go to your local bookstore and pick it up. Lindsay Sterling, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. Hey, thank you so much. That was a lot of fun. Awesome. Thank you, Lindsay. Honest, I know it's a lot to uh, be on the road and take some time out. So thank you again. That was really fun. It was, and thank you so much. That was a really well thought out, like your questions were so good. Thank you so much oh, good. for taking the time to prepare. Oh, of course, please. And enjoy your uh, your book signing tonight. I will. All okay, right, take, take care. care. Thanks, bye-bye. Today's show is sponsored by Howl FM. Reading aloud listeners will love what they can hear with Howl, I promise you. It's like Netflix for podcasts. And with Howl Premium, you get exclusive access to more than 120 hours of Howl original shows, miniseries, comedies, documentaries. It's all there. And there's new episodes every week. You're in your car, you're in the subway, you're on the treadmill. It doesn't matter. Call up Howl, find a new show, and put it in your ear holes. WTF with Mark Marin. All your favorite Earwolf and Wolf Pop comedy shows like Comedy Bang Bang, How Did This Get Made, Who Charted, uh, Sklarboa Country, the list goes on and on. And of course, this show, Reading Aloud. Plus, there's more than 60 great comedy albums. The How Originals also are truly unique. Get access to all this exclusive content on your iPhone, Android phone, or whatever kind of cool phone you have. It's only $4.99 a month. And with the promo code READING, you get a full month for free. Yeah. So go to redeem your promo code right now. Reading at checkout. First, you got to go to Howl FM, H-O-W-L dot F-M, and use the promo code reading for a free month of Howl Premium. 
It'll improve your life. Again, the name of the book, The Only Pirate at the Party. You can't miss this cover. Uh, Lindsay is dressed in pirate attire, holding a cupcake. Uh, She wrote it with her sister, Brooke. It's out now. Uh, And it's got 4.9 out of 5 stars on Amazon. It's got 5 out of 5 on on Goodreads. Uh, People are really responding to it, so you should pick it up. Lindsay was delightful. And I can't thank her enough for coming and uh, joining me on the show. That was a really fun conversation. So pick up her book, The Only Pirate at the Party. You can find it at your local bookstore. Walk on down and support your local business, because why not? Uh, Lindsay Sterling, thank you. Uh, so come back to us, um, dear listener in two weeks, having done your homework. Okay. Go pick up F. Scott Fitzgerald's The Great Gatsby. Read it, read it, read at, read at it. And then, uh, email me your thoughts about it at readingaloudpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, also, you can uh, tweet me about it if you'd like. Uh, Reading Aloud Pod is the Twitter handle. So pick it up. Be a part of the book club and join the show. Uh, next week, we have the book club. The week after that, a really fun conversation with Sasha Pfeiffer that I'm really looking forward to sharing with you guys. And uh, thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Reading Aloud. Again, my name is Nick Cordry. You can follow me on Twitter at I'm Nate Cordry. You can follow the show at Reading Aloud Pod. And you can follow yourself like in the mirror. You just look at yourself in the mirror and follow your behavior there. Okay, I'll talk to you soon. Oh, you hit me like a hurricane. Hey everybody, it's Paul Shear. I have a podcast with June Diane Raphael and Jason Manzukis where we watch the worst movies ever made and then we try to figure out how did this get made? Do we get answers? No, but I think it's a fun time. It's kind of like talking with all your friends after you watch a really shitty movie. Here, take a listen. From what, what I know of tornadoes, they're, <laughs> they're wind, essentially. Yes. That's picked- <laughs> and what do you know of tornadoes? Oh, I'm about to tell you. June was an amateur storm <laughs> chaser. Go ahead. Wind starts to sort of pick up dirt and debris, and it kind of collapses. <laughs> you know in nothing about tornadoes. <laughs> no, 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 like, keep, let her go. Like- listen to How Did This Get Made on Earwolf or your favorite podcast app. We would love it if you did. This has been a Wolf Pop production. Executive produced by Paul Shear, Adam Sachs, Chris Bannon, and Matt Gorley. For more information and content, visit wolfpop.com. <laughs>